Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 95, and we are reading Sixth of the Dusk by Brandon Sanderson, straight out of Arcanum Unbounded, as we go through this before we reach Dawn Shard in a couple weeks. Uh, joining me as, as always is Paul and Elliot. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. I'm uh, excited to talk about our little short story. Uh... Elliot? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like we, we've more more side quests. I feel like we're on tonight of pursuing these little side objectives that we have no idea whether they're going to be relevant or important or if we're ignoring our, our true duty of, of Stormlight archives. But it, it was fun. I enjoyed the story. Yeah, I keep expecting people to breathe in Stormlight or something, and I haven't seen that in a while. So I was going to say, one of the things I enjoy is in our live reactions, Paul, for our patrons, you always keep saying, why are we reading this in, in your live <laughs> yeah. reactions? Yeah. You're just trying to find, I don't... Like, what are we What are we doing? But Yeah, I'm trying to find the like Nightblood from Warbreaker or like... You know, nail from Edge Dancer. Yeah, or Hoid. Or yeah, Hoid. Where's that and, guy. Yeah, exactly. All right, all like, will be. There's obviously the like one sentence in here that whenever we finish Rhythm of War, we'll be like, remember that one sentence? See how cool that is that you read that one sentence that week, and then could apply it a year later. Exactly. That's so fun. All right, uh, can I get one word to summarize the Sixth of the, of the Dusk by Brandon Sanderson for each of you? Uh, my word for sixth of the dusk is da -da -da -da, birds. Birds. Elliot. That's very very apt. That's not my word. My word is inevitability. Inevitability. Wow. I also have a word, and it's similar to Paul's. My word is chickens. Nice. Let's use these three words and talk about Arcanum Unbounded. All right, we'll tail it up with Elliot's word, but... First of all, who is on our mug this week, Paul? Oh, this week, um, we don't have a new specific name, but I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who not only supports us on Patreon, but supports us by just watching our videos, uh, listening to us on, on many different platforms. We really appreciate it. So my cup this week may be hard to see, but it is a globe. It's got all the... All the um, continents on there and everything and so just thank you to everyone in the world who watches us there's people from all over and we really appreciate all the help and support so there are people from all over so i know much. like all content, all content creators say this that it's super cliche but there's people all, from all over the world who watch our and listen to our podcast which is just kind of crazy to me but it, it really is like surreal to me that that i don't know why anyone would want to listen to me you know but I appreciate it, and it's really fun. Um, people in our Discord and those who just comment on our videos, it's its really encouraging, honestly. It really is. I don't know that 
we would have gone this far without a, the the great engagement and support we've gotten from people. So it's great. Yep. You guys are awesome. All right. Talk about birds, Paul. Birds. Specifically oh, wow. your okay. word, not like this isn't an invitation <laughs> for the whole episode because we'll be talking about birds the whole episode. But yeah. why birds? Um. Wow. Okay. I didn't honestly put that much thought into it. Our, our magic system, I feel... I don't even want to call it a magic system, honestly. It, it feels just as complex, but also a little less complex than our others, I guess. Who knows? Our, our magic system is kind of tied to these birds or aviaries, uh, AVR, whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, and how they like enlighten people or pr- provide gifts of these talents. It's a whole. It's a whole thing, which I don't fully understand. That's partly why I'm here. Uh, to try and figure that out. But it, it definitely encompasses these birds. So that was my word. Elliot? I chose inevitability to kind of tie in with what I thought the theme of this story was or kind of the the takeaway at the end. It did feel like there was a... I don't want to say message because that implies like an argument trying to make a case. Whereas I think this more was just like diving into a topic, but I felt like that topic was, you know, change and how change is coming, whether you, you want it or not, how should you deal with it? And we'll, 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 I'll have to talk about this more when we kind of get to the, the end of the story about what I, what I think the characters in the story kind of came to the conclusion and whether I agree with that or not. But I think change is inevitable. And this story was kind of exploring that. Yeah, I will save my word for a little bit further into the episode. I want to talk about the story first, and then we can talk about how it kind of ties in and anything you, you guys saw that relates to Stormlight, other Cosmere stories, etc., etc. So let's talk about the, the story itself. We have Sixth of the Dusk, our, our trapper, and he lives on Patchy, and kind of takes care of the island, looks after the island, sort of, lives on it, and he is certainly not very welcome to outsiders, but he's not overtly hostile to outsiders either. He he kind of has the thought of, well, they're going to die on Patchy anyway, because literally my entire existence is trying to survive on this island, so they're not trained. They're going to, to die, so he doesn't bother overtly attacking these outsiders that come and land on his island, but he's certainly not super friendly to them either. What were you guys' thoughts on the first half where... Oh, wait. I'm forgetting a spell check. We have a full spell check for this episode. I almost interrupted. I, was I gonna, actually didn't want to. I was, gonna say, I was about to name drop one of our uh, <laughs> one of our spell checks. Let's back up a, little, a second. Alright. Elliot, we've got four spell checks today what is avr one in our outline how would you say that name the birds had some weird names but the first one i think is coker lee oh yep yeah i think that's right yeah coker lee um and with all these spell checks tonight i'm just gonna ask for forgiveness ahead of time because I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to be very close. And there's some wild names, and I just went with my first gut instinct. Didn't think twice. 
So I had K O K E R L I. He's good at these. You almost, almost got it. Add another I and you're bang on. Two eyes. Okay, that's unfair though. Sure. Yeah, I'll give it to you. That's that's a. I I switched. I that was this was the only name that I actually switched from like my first guess to something else. And I initially had E E, and I was like, no, like just think about other names we have, like Venley, stuff like that. I ending in the I, so went back to that. Nice job. Uh, ABR two, Elliot. This one's easier. The name is definitely Zach. Right? Okay, that still fits. This one has made me really nervous. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Because I think I overthought it. I'm just going to say what I wrote down. I wrote down S-A-K-H. Ah, uh, bummer. Is it just S-A-K? It is just S-A-K. Yep. Okay, okay. I overthought it. That's okay. That's okay. That is okay. Uh, but yeah, it is sack. Or isn't it really pronounced sock? Yeah, it's sock. Okay. okay, I'm glad that I got a. that it was an A because you hear it as sock, and and I'm I'm glad that I thought of A. I'm you know I think I can get the hard parts and then just mess up on other random stuff. So the female clerk who gets stuck in Six of the Dusk's trap. Her name is Vathi. Right on. Vathi. I had V-A-T-H-I. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Nice. Okay. Doing better than I thought I was going to do. And her AVR. Last one. This one I'm not so sure about. I'm going for... It kind of all slurs together. Murris? Murris? Close. Close. I believe it's pronounced Miris. Okay. Is okay. that right? Miris? Yep, that's right. And I... This may be my downfall. Uh, I, I wrote down, first guess, M-E-R-I-S. Close-ish. M-I-R-R-I-S. Okay. That that was a tougher one. That one was tough. But overall... Better, better than I, better than I thought. And Elliot did a great job with the pronunciations as well. So, not quite, team. not quite horn eater names this time. But uh, yeah, not, not the exact. I could. Oh man, that was legendary. Numahuku Makiaki Lunamore. I'll never forget. Never forget. It's ingrained into my brain. All right. What are your guys' thoughts on the first half of this episode? Before we get a little weird with AVR eating worms and the ones above with their well we'll talk about the the greater implications later but what it's kind of a simple story you have six of the dusk on his island there's sea monsters there's what seem to be mammals reptiles maybe on the island gonna kill you he's got his birds protecting his mind um and shielding them what are you guys' takeaways just talk to me My first thought, and I shared this in our our live reactions on the Discord earlier, was that I feel like this place seems like Australia in the sense that all of the animals are either really bizarre or strange and, you know, types of animals you're not going to find anywhere else in the world. And also, maybe at the same time, out to kill you. It seems like everything he comes across is 
a, a life and death encounter, which is kind of how I think about Australia with all their venomous spiders and snakes. And you know, like, you can't go outside without risking your life sort of thing. Paul. I, so my, honestly, like the picture that I got from this world as we were reading it is like, yeah, you know, dangerous, but I didn't think it is anything crazy. Honestly, I pictured this as more closer to like earth, like more normal things in life. You know, it's probably more adventurous and more crazy than, than earth is. Um, but I think Australia is kind of a good way to, to summarize that I've never been to Australia, but there's all always the, the, the jokes are understanding that there's just big venomous creatures everywhere. Um, so the other part that was interesting in the kind of buildup of this story was the rather strange culture built around the, the trappers and the whole sort of they're competing with each other, but they're kind of not, but they definitely are like they set traps for each other. Like they're actively trying to kill each other. Right. And protect their hideouts in their secrets and where all their special trails and stuff are. But then at the same time, there's like this strange, healthy respect they have for each other. You know, they don't openly attack each other. They just set venomous traps for each other. You know, it's, it's all good and fine. So that was, yeah, it was kind of odd. It's something also different about this is whether or not this is accurate. This is how I pictured it. Um, all of our stories, even our short stories and stuff like that, I've pictured like it's oftentimes in or around like cities or camps or things like that where there's just a bunch of people and I can always imagine there just being a bunch of people around. And here I kind of just got the picture that there's like eight people on this world. Right. It's just like these couple trappers and they just do their thing with the animals. Uh, but not that there's like a bustling town like civilized area really i mean sixth right heat or dusk whatever they call him don't they like what does he say he hasn't like talked in like three years or three months or some some like long amount of time because he's just always you know on the grind out trapping right animals and stuff i will say that i thought the style of this story was rather different than the other Sanderson works that we've read. And it actually played into the one thing I've I maybe criticized a little bit about or or kind of picked on a bit in Sanderson's writing where I sometimes wish he would be a little more descriptive in what he's writing. You know, tell me more about the setting, tell me more about the the sounds and the the sights and you know all of that. Here I felt like I got that. Here, I felt like I had a perfect mental picture of what this world looks like and what walking through this you know, jungle island is going to sound like and feel like. And I think it's because there was less of that dialogue. It was a little bit less of a you know, dialogue and action-driven story and a little bit more about the describing what the characters were going through, which I thought was a – it was pretty cool to, to see Sanderson do that, actually. I definitely have a good mental image of Patchy, our archipelago island here. I I always think of, you know, Pacific Islander recently, like Moana is going to be the, the image in my head of the canoes with the whatever 
that's called the stability log out on the, on the side. That's what I would think of. All right. I know. Go ahead. I noticed too. One last thought before we kind of dive into the character story. The I, I noticed that Sanderson still worked in also an element of religion into this. That seems like he's always he's always keen on including what kind of religion do these these characters have. I think he loves to explore those different you know ways he can tie that into the story. And the way it worked into this one was was again kind of strange and kind of interesting to think about how these trappers almost see themselves as like priests of these islands, how they, they think of the islands as beings or people almost, and they are priests protecting and serving and worshiping this island who is kind of their god or deity, but also actively trying to kill them every day. And so right. that, that interesting religious aspect of this too kind of worked into this as well. He actively talks to the island in his head. Yeah. So at the end of the story, he, the whole story is, what's her name? Vathi gets lost or her, her kind of exploration group gets killed. And he, she goes and finds a trapper intentionally finds six of the dusk and he takes her back to, um, the rest of her posse on on the ship, and which is across the island, and they have a couple different detours on the way there, which we'll talk about here in a second. But they reference multiple times the ones above, and that is in reference to a spacefaring civilization that knows first of the sun exists which is the planet we're on and they have a rule that they're not allowed to trade with them until they are technologically advanced. And so they are trying to artificially boost first of the sun so that they can trade with them. What is sixth of the dusk's reaction to this? Like at the end of the story where he kind of gets a vision of what will happen to the to the island and how, how he interprets that. Did you guys pick up on that where they open the device or they just take it out of the whatever and all the AVR like freak out on the entire island and he sees that? Did you guys pick up on that? I I did, and I was trying to decipher it, and I feel like there's maybe more there than I than I actually picked up on. But it it seems like he was trying to struggle with, and this kind of ties into my word that I they opened up with of if they do start to establish a relationship with these ones above, it's going to have pretty big impacts on the planet. They're they're going to bring in industrialization if you will they're going to figure out how to capture control market perhaps these these avr and their abilities and it's going to change the entire way of life on this this planet they're going to take this this island of patchy which dusk reveres for its danger and they're going to take the danger away 
and he's not okay with that. I was struggling to understand the motives of a lot of our characters in this. Um, like, I know that these things are important. I don't think I understand why. Sure. Uh, like, like, like in the context of this story, not necessarily like in my live reactions. I'm like, I don't know why exactly what's important that we're reading this for, in terms of the entire Cosmic Brandon Sanderson stuff, whatever. Uh, but in zooming into this story, I don't fully know why uh, why that's important or what our what our characters really want. I didn't pick up on. So this is how I interpret it. Take it with whatever grain of salt you want. Dusk kind of views it as his duty to protect the island. He he look he looks after the island. The island is trying to kill him. It can pretty much look after itself, but. He lives on the island. He's pretty symbiotic with Patchy, and he views himself as kind of a protector of of Patchy. He it said there was a three week sail for him to get to that city that these people are from um, by canoe, and he met Vathi there, um, and so he knew that Vathi and her ship were coming, and they beat. And Vathi's ship beats him there, actually, because they've, they're have they right on the cusp of, like, 17th century, like, galleons and ships. They've got, like, you know, triple-masted, kind of ironclads, um, a little bit of metal on the bottom so that they don't get eaten by deep-sea fish, apparently. So that's kind of right about where they are technology-wise. And he's got a star map, which was given to him by the ones above. And the the ship that is there has a locator that can find AVR. And that's how Vathi that's right. finds uh, Dusk. So the ones above are trying to fast forward the typical, if I was taking Earth as a, as a sample, the, the typical progression of technology there's they're right about 17th century they're trying to push them into spaceships like immediately so they can trade with them does that so sixth of dusk is really hesitant about that because he knows the ones above are going to exploit them for their resources and he views that as the death of the island does that make sense yes thank you a lot thank you so much that that helps me a lot and I'm really curious who these ones above are, because I don't think we've seen in the books that we've read so far, I haven't read Mistborn yet, the a, a spacefaring civilization. They seem quite a bit a ways technology advanced further than most of the civilizations we've seen, to the point where if you think about this, they've encountered other civilizations before. Otherwise, they wouldn't have these laws. Right. They've they've clearly seen, hey, if we advance somebody too fast, you know, too far too fast, that causes problems. So we're gonna write laws for ourselves so that we don't do that. So here you have this group that's kind of trying to adhere to their laws a little bit, but also at the same time, like, ah, we really wanna, you know, develop this this world and start to take control. So we're just gonna drop this piece of technology with uh, oops, here's the instructions included inside, you know, nudge, nudge here, go figure it out. 
who are these people and have we seen them before somewhere? I can't, I couldn't figure it out. And I'm really curious. Do you have any thoughts on that, Paul, before I answer? I, I don't know who it is. That, that was probably my biggest question was who, who are these higher beings? Um, have we seen them? Do we know what they are? Are these? Yeah. I, I have no idea. Honestly, I haven't seen any spacefaring people either because they seemed, mm. No, I don't know. I do not know who they are. So to answer your question, this is not the answer you're going to hope for, but we don't know. And you know as much as we do. In a couple words of Brandon that he's uh, been referenced in the past, people have asked him if it's the 17th Shard, and he's said no, it's not. It's a specifically another um, organization. And... Ghost bloods. Also with maybe, also with this. Uh, I'm going to come back to that, Paul, here in a second. With the context of this story, this is the. This story is the furthest forward in the timeline of any published work so far. So, he splits his works into kind of three different eras, if you will. There's the, the medieval, post-medieval era of swords, shields, you know, castles. And then there's an era two, which is kind of a steampunk-esque era. That's where Mistborn 2, or Mistborn Era 2 is set. There's a there's a there's a couple other things that are sit there as well. And then and obviously there's also planets at different technology levels and at the same time um and then this one is in era three he's confirmed that it's in era three which is a post space faring sci-fi era and whoever the ones above are it could be a rosharans um whoever the ones above are they're trying to catch up first of the sun so that they can trade with them they're riding their shard rocket ship yes exactly (laughs) Across the universe, awesome. All right, we we do know that humans on Roshar came from another planet originally, right? We just learned that recently, so it's not too much of a stretch to imagine that down the road they've acquired space technology and are now traveling the the, the systems. Paul, you said something very interesting. A second ago, I you, do that you, often. Yeah, you claimed that it was the ghost bloods, kind of just randomly. It However, seems like ghost blood behavior. Yeah. It does seem like ghost blood behavior. Let me read you something from Oathbringer. This is from Chapter Twenty Two of Oathbringer. Mraes, instead of his usual fashionable clothing, today he wore a Sadius uniform with a breastplate and a simple skull cap helm. He looked exactly like the other soldiers they'd passed, save for that face. And the chicken on his shoulder. A chicken. It was one of the strange varieties, pure green and sleek, with a wicked beak. It looked much more like a predator than a bumbling thing she'd been, she'd been sold, uh, she'd seen sold in cages at markets. But seriously, who walked around with a pet chicken? They were for eating, right? 
I'm so proud of myself. Oh, man. I'm so proud of myself. Brandon Sanderson has been asked if that is an AVR from the system of First of the Sun, and he has said yes. Wow. (laughs) Okay, okay. I had no memory of seeing a chicken on Marisa's shoulder. I feel like I should have remembered that, that there was a just a green chicken on his shoulder. So back to my word chicken. We will talk about this this week and next week, but Rosharans have an in, have interesting vocabulary for certain things. They refer to all birds as chickens. So just because a Rosharan claims something is a chicken does not mean it's a chicken. This is confirmed to be an AVR from the 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 system first of the sun. Now, does that AVR has that AVR visited Patchy? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Good job. Paul. Visiting Patchy is when these AVRs get blessings, right, or talents, yes. whatever you want to call it. Right. I don't remember the term they use at the end of the um, story. And that's what gives their like their partner. I got pirate energy, you know, with like a parrot on their shoulder. Yeah, that's what you're supposed um, to. Yeah. Um, and, and the bird, like, after being or going to Patchy, can now bestow a, like a, a power to their owner. Yeah, you're definitely supposed to get pirate energy. The, one of the inspirations for Brandon Sanderson with this one was, well, what if the pirate's parrot gave them a superpower? That was one, yeah. of, one of his yeah. inspirations. So, yes, the... AVRs get their abilities by eating these worms that give them powers at Patchy, at the pool um, that Pat, that Sixth of Dusk and Vathi hide in, which we'll talk I about. I have one other question. With the powers that these AVR get, is there like rhyme or reason to it, or is it just kind of like random? Do, do we know? Because I, I didn't remember noticing like a similarity in the 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 powers they bestowed but we got to see some of them right or like at least glimpses so i don't remember which one is which but one of them conceals his mind from the predators on the island the other one gives him visions of potential death for him in the future where hey there's a there's a pit over there don't fall in the pit or there's a death ant hill over there don't step in that and it gives him like a 10 seconds in the future, hey, don't do this vision. One of, I don't remember that'd, which one switched, though. That'd be he helpful. Both. That's a good one. Very truth watchery or fake truth watcher. Who, who knows? Just thinking of Renard and Colin. Ellie, you've been brewing over there for a little bit. What do you, what do you got? Well, since you just blew my mind with the fact that ghost bloods apparently have AVR. And now I'm trying to think about what the the implications of Ghostbloods being way more capable than I even thought. But that's a whole separate thought. What I'm actually stewing on here is you, you just said that it's been confirmed that Sixth of the Dust here is latest in the timeline of published works. Correct. So okay. Marais has a chicken predating the story. Which, which is where there's that's a clarification I was trying to make because it would seem like okay if the ones above here in the story do come and they 
industrialize this world and are able to harness the power of AVR and then go throughout the universe and they can then, you know, sell AVR and they might be a lot easier to come by in the future as opposed to where we actually are with Murray's and the ghost bloods. No, it's not like there's somebody out there traveling the universe that we know of selling AVR. He's either been there or someone has gone there to get this. Interesting. And I want to highlight back to the perpendicularities of how he potentially could have been there or somebody could have been there in the preface to this story the one written by Chris is she, she mentions kind of offhand of there's a perpendicularity on first of the sun, but there's no shard. And we don't really know why I haven't gotten around to figuring out why, but it's really hard to get there. So I'll, I'll figure that out later. And it's super dangerous, you know, cause it's in the middle of patchy. However, I'll go, I'll go back to that. The The pool that is called Patchy's Eye or Patchy's Tear, um, one of those two, I don't remember. The one that they hide in when they're being chased by those predators and then they shoot their, their flower so that it runs away. The predators are being, are tracking them in the cognitive realm. And the AVR are shielding their souls their minds from the cognitive realm so that they have to track them by traditional means you know like smell sight whatever what is another example of somebody who is tied to the cognitive realm in that in that way where they can see things in the cognitive realm and use that what's the first thing that comes to mind for oh, you soul casting yes Do you remember at the end of Oathbringer, Yasna is fighting a bunch of things and she's kind of dancing in and out of Shadesmar and she kills these two fews that are coming for her. She doesn't even look. She can see the impression, their impression on sh the cognitive realm and that's how she sees them coming. Do you remember that? Yes. Vaguely. Yes. It's, it's okay if you don't. It's super cool. <laughs> she, she's a really strong fighter because she can see intent like you know whatever she she can yeah. she uses she the cognitive, the cognitive realm. Yeah. she uses the cognitive realm to fight and that's what these predators are doing as well they're using the cognitive realm they're using impressions of people's minds to find them and sixth of dusk avr is shielding him from that understand The, back to the pond that they're uh, chilling in with the the parasites that grow up near it and the birds eat them to get their powers. Brandon Sanderson has been asked, is that a perpendicularity, the pool? And he said, yes, that is the perpendicularity on First of the Sun. I want to read you an excerpt from, where's, stick with me. I want to read you an excerpt from Words of Radiance. This is in chapter 46, I believe. Rock, you did call those lakes up there 
water, so they're hot springs, just like you said, is different. How? Is not just water, Rock said, is water of life. It is connection to gods. If Unalaki swim in it, sometimes they see place of gods. Keep in mind that gods to him are spren. They're not just hot springs, Sigzel grumbled, but returned to his drink. Rock rolled his eyes. On top is water. Beneath is not. Is something else. Water of life. The place of gods. This thing is true. I have met God myself. A god like Sil? Kaladin asked. Or maybe a river spren? Those are somewhat rare, but supposedly able to speak in, at times in simple ways, like windspren. Is that why you can see Sil? No, Rock said. He leaned in as, as if saying something conspiratorial. I saw Lunu Anakai. Oh, great, Moesh said. Wonderful. Lunu Anakai, Rock said, is god of travel and mischief. Very powerful god. He came from depth of peak ocean, from realm of gods. What did he look like? Lopin asked, eyes wide. Like person. Maybe a lethe, though skin was lighter. Very angular face, handsome perhaps, with white hair. Sixel looked up sharply. White hair? Yes, Rock said. Not gray like old man, but white. Yet he is young man. He spoke with me on shore. Ha! Made mockery of my beard. Asked what year it was by Horneter calendar. Thought my name was funny. Very powerful god. We did talk about this before. We did. And we were like, is this Hoyd? Like, I think this is Hoyd, but we didn't really know the the, the stretch of things. The telltale signs. Yeah. We I've been wondering... I've been wondering already if that pool that Rock talked about somehow had to do something with cultivation's perpendicularity. And I think with all the clues we've gotten towards that effect, it seems like that's highly likely. We learned in Oathbringer that cultivation's perpendicularity was near the Horneater Peaks. We know that something weird was kind of going on with it. That was the hint there in Oathbringer. And then here, now that we've got confirmation that a perpendicularity can take the shape of a pool, there's actually a little bit in the... Chris's description of this system, the Dramanad system, where she talks about perpendicularities can take the form of pools of concentrated power, is what she says. Yep. It seems like a lot of pieces falling into place that Rock has apparently gone swimming in Cultivation's perpendicularity. When he says he's met God, has he met Cultivation? Maybe. Now there's a question. Have I successfully asked answered your why are we reading this story question, Paul? Or are you yes. still wanting more? Yes. No, I, I I'm I'm impressed. I didn't pick up any of this, so I'm I'm impressed. I'm happy uh with the info we got. I have questions, but not like answerable questions like why does Murray's have a chicken and um what's it gonna mean for me? <laughs> find out what it means to me you know these AVR on first of the sun specifically especially the ones that have a power are way more s smart way more intelligent than 
your average animal, like even like a dog that we would uh, equate to. Think more of a dragon from How to Train Your Dragon. They can't speak, but they can understand everything you say and they have their intent. They can, it's a symbiotic relationship. They're, they're extremely smart and they can do like whatever is, is needed of them and can understand English. I think the funny thing about this, just, okay, taking, taking a step back from our podcast, I, I talked to a good number of, uh, of, I have a number of friends that I talked to about our podcast, whatever, Brandon Sanderson. Some people have started reading the way of Kings. Some don't care. You know, it's just life, you know? And I was telling them, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go record some uh, podcast episode. Oh, it's about the short story that I don't even think really connects. Like, it'll it'll just be chill, you know? And I'm going to have to go back and be like, well, actually, <laughs> it actually has a lot of stuff in it that's really cool and you actually see in our books and stuff. And it's just really funny. I was like, oh, like, it's just, you know, we're not actually in the main series books right now. There's not going to be a big takeaway for me. <laughs> but here we are, so... I am impressed once again. There was a moment going back to the birds. Yep. There was a moment in the story where Dusk talks to mice. They like come out of the bush and he has a telepathic communication with the little like rats that are coming, you know, running around in the bush. Is there also telepathic communication with the birds i honestly i can't remember now is it just that they understand his speech or is there also kind of a mind link thing as well in my head i thought this was tied to a gift given by the avr he had but i could be wrong is is that that is not the case okay his his two gifts from his avr are very specific the the 10 second death thing and then the shelter your mind from the cognitive realm uh ellie i don't know uh to ask to answer your question i don't remember if it's because he's because sixth of sixth of the dusk is fairly invested um he lives his entire life next to a perpendicularity and he has these two avr who you know live with him and he's he he hatches avr um, as part of it, like he has a lot of investiture just around him all the time. So that might have something to do with it. But honestly, I don't know. Maybe our comment section can help you out on that one. I was waiting for that like telepathic communication to be more part of the story because that, that mice scene was towards the very beginning. Right. And then it felt like we never kind of went back to that. So now I'm kind of wondering, it was it the mice that were <laughs> unique there? Or, or, or maybe you're right. Maybe that is just kind of demonstrating that he is sort of living and breathing magical power and he's he's that connected with the beings on the the island but i'm still kind of curious so is it fairly obvious to you guys now what the ones above want now that you understand some of the greater ramifications of what's happening here they want power they're after the avr right like yeah. they they want the, the powers to shield from the cognitive realm they want to however they're going to apply that they want to be able to you know see that your death coming in 10 seconds and avoid it that seems super useful so they're, they're yeah. after the avr must be handy to uh have one of those 
especially if you were in another world where no one else had one. Which actually makes Mm -hmm. me curious about the perpendicularity on first of the sun, because you think in the space era, Chris knows about the perpendicularity that she knows it exists. Why don't this in the future, the space era guys, why don't they just use the perpendicularity, grab an AVR and pop back through, you know, like, there's got to be some limitations to this perpendicularity that we don't really understand of can you only use it from one side to the other? Is it like, you know, an oath gate, for example, or what are the rules of that? Because there's no shard, does it make it a little different? So I, a genuine question, I don't know. No shard part of that is is curious too, because we clearly have a, at least an island with a lot of investiture bouncing around, but no shard to kind of tie it to as like a source. So that seems strange. I also just made the connection to Honor and his Oath Gates and how it's hard to use those as perpendicularities because he's dead. So maybe somebody sealed it. I don't know. I just had that thought. Your your guess is better than mine. You got more more knowledge than we do. Not that much more. We're we're getting there. We're catching up. <laughs> maybe slower than yeah. we thought. Shout out to uh, Brandon Sanderson's secret announcement last week. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, we're not count. We're not catching up as fast as we thought we were. Yeah, that's true. That that man can write books faster than we can read them. I mean, it's okay. At least once the last Stormlight book five, you know, comes out, we I th- I'm hoping by then that we might be done with with Rhythm of War. So it's not going to be that long. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a hard time about it. I'm hoping we're current when Stormlight five releases. That's that's my goal. Is that we're current yeah. when Stormlight Five? It releases. is. It is over a year from now, so I'm I'm being facetious. It's over a year and a half from now. Yeah. All right. Anything else that you guys want to highlight from Six of the Dusk? I really enjoy uh, this this short story. It's one of my favorite ones. It it, it was it was fun. I I really appreciate a lot of the explanations because I don't think I understood the magnitude. Sure. of it or, or what was fully going on i thought the imagery was really pretty and i liked the the descriptions of the birds i thought it was really cool i liked it a lot better upon finishing than i did at like 90 percent in which yeah. is classic sanderlanch right i mean yeah this is like a, a little mini itty bitty sanderlanch like it wasn't the dump of information but it was kind of a where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Why is this important? Oh, okay. The last little bit of the story really did kind of hook me and pull me into this of like why this matters. And that big question, that moment where Vathi goes into the the camp, but then chooses to come back out to to dusk and make that decision of, no, I realize that what I'm facilitating here is not okay or not what I want to actually happen here and kind of realize that this 
this institution that I was a part of, I no longer want to be a part of or no longer want to enable. And that's an interesting, really interesting story that you can then kind of go back to the, the beginning and see the journey that like Vathi kind of goes on to discover. This is a, in some sense, a terrible place. It's trying to kill you everywhere you go. Every little you know, bug on a leaf can just reach out and kill you. Like, this is not a place I want to go on vacation. Right. But at the same time, it still might be a place worth protecting. Even though it is a terrible, dangerous place, maybe that doesn't justify allowing, you know, someone to come in and and remove all of that and and kill all the dangerous creatures, remove all of those. Like, is that humanities? I'm kind of assuming that we're talking about, you know, humanity, maybe these are other types of creatures, the ones above, but is that humanity's right to come in and change nature? Like, I don't know the answer to that, but this story makes me think about that, which is really cool. I think, I think this is largely in part from my, like, honestly, I didn't pay as close attention to this, or it was harder to pick up on things than like, if we were reading Stormlight, where I'm familiar with everyone, all our places, stuff like that. Uh, but I definitely got an imagery of like, oh, this is such a beautiful little island, like really pretty. Like I would love to view the scenery. Um, but yeah, it seemed like a nice place to safely. Uh, if you could safely vacation there, I would. But that may be challenging. Well, and I just need an aviary that lets me see ten seconds into the future if I'm gonna die. There you go. Then, then, then we're good. And six clarifies pretty early that Pachi is the dangerous island, but that's not necessarily the other islands. There's some. There's Sorry, the one where all the trappers apprentice. That's perfectly safe and tropical, and it's wherever where where you want a vacation. So just go over to Sorry. Yeah, there we go. I'll take my spaceship over there and have a nice time. Uh, Elliot, you're not allowed to answer this because I spoiled it for you off the air, but Paul, do you recognize the name Pachi? No. Is it my guess? My guess, if if I've heard it, which I'm assuming because you're asking that I've heard it somewhere. You if, have is heard that it somewhere. It's a place like on our map. My map is up here. No. Is it a... Okay. I I had the same exact reaction as you, Paul, when Trevor dropped this in casual conversation with me. Is I was it... like, well, because you're asking me, I know I should have, <laughs> yeah. but I is don't. It like, is it like the name of... Oh, I'm going to give another guess, which uh-huh. I'm probably wrong once again, but we'll just move on. Is that the name of our Larkin? No. It's Cheery. Okay, okay. Oh, that's right. Okay, okay. It was my, it was my guess. So y- you haven't heard it in literature. You've heard me say it before this episode. Okay, our Cosmere one hundred and one episode. The second letter to Hoyd in Oathbringer is written by Pachi. Same spelling, same word. So he's up there with like Frost and Hoyd, right? But we're gotcha. talking about the island. Like, okay, there is someone sentient and able to write a letter behind uh, that has the same name as the island here. 
which there's there's two ways in my mind that can play out. Either there's a fairly normal person who this island is just named after. Right. And, and there's just a similarity of names here. But the other possibility is a little weirder. Like, is Six of the Dusks religion true? Is there a being who is also this island or is like the the soul of this island or a powerful spren. I'm thinking like, you know, unmade level of, of powerful spren that kind of like embodies the island and has the, the sentience to communicate with Hoyd. So this could be a really big deal or a slightly smaller, really big deal. I don't know. I don't know. Just wanted to draw those similarities for you. Uh-huh. I don't. Sure. Sure. All right. Any closing thoughts for Six of the Dusk? Nope. That was a fun story. I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will be doing Shadows for Silence next week, and then back into the Stormlight Archive with Dawn Shard the week after that. See you guys next week. Let's do it. Peace out.